BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, nerds? This is Just a Couple Arslings, a Last Kingdom podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Toomer. And I'm Alyssa Fixie. We are writers for Sci-Fi Wires fangirls who started recapping The Last Kingdom in season three. So we decided to bring that nerdy, horny energy to Podcastlandia. Jessica, how are you on this lovely Wednesday morning? I'm doing good. I'm like, su- like surprisingly, I'm doing really well. How are you? Um, I'm pretty okay. I didn't sleep a lot last night because I was an idiot and I made coffee at five o'clock yesterday because there's no rules in quarantine. Um, So, you know, we're running on a little bit of less sleep, but I, you know, I never claim to be a role model. So we just do what we can. (laughs) Dude, I've been like going to bed so early lately. I don't know. Yeah, like I'm like going to bed at like my grandmother's time, which is like eight o'clock. Like Listen, sometimes because I just get great. tired. And so that's I'm like, great. whatever, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I'm like but then tired. I wake up at like midnight. <laughs> right. I'm like tired all day, except when I like try to go to sleep. And then it's like, actually, you're going to lie in bed and think about everything for <laughs> three hours before you actually go to sleep. So of being course, able to that's science, that's right. how your brain works. Exactly. You so can't fight it. Being able to focus on Uhtred and his problems helps me forget about my own, and I find that very comforting. Yeah, what we're really saying, guys, is that um, lack of sleep might make this podcast, like, weirder than it already is, so just prepare yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, should we uh, get to it for episode two? Yeah, such a good segue. Again, we're really killing it with those, so let's go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So we open on these ships. Uhtred and crew are heading off to Bebenberg. And, you know, they're doing okay, but Uhtred and young Uhtred really are buttonheads in a huge way. Like Uhtred's doing some sort of blood rite into the sea to sort of, mm-hmm. you know, bless their boat. And young Uhtred is like, you're a dumbass. Why are you doing this? And there's just, there's a real lack of respect on both sides, I think. Like, young Uhtred thinks his dad's an idiot, and Uhtred is like, my son is a pious blowhard, where did I go wrong? Um, and it's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah, I really like the back and forth between these two. Me I too. thought it would it it would annoy me just because, you know, Uhtred Jr. is, he's like, this young kid, he doesn't know anything. Uhtred's mm. been through a lot and sacrificed a lot for him. And so I thought it would make me, like, really just not like this kid. But I think he, like, presents a really interesting kind of challenge for Uhtred. Sure. To, like, look at his life and how he's lived it and to kind of think, is that how he wants to continue living it? Um, and, I mean, he's not wrong about some things. Like, sure. I'm not going to cut my arm and sacrifice <laughs> to the water gods. I'm going to take a Dramamine and, like, hope this boat ride, like, gets over very quickly. Right. So there are some things where, where Uhtred Jr. is, like, He's not wrong. And yeah. so um, they have a really interesting conversation on on the boat about uh, Uhtred has kind of, Uhtred Jr. has kind of accepted, like, I know you're going to do what you're going to do, but please show mercy. 
and, you know, they talk about forgiveness and, and Uhtred kind of throws it back at him and he's like, you know, well, why don't you use that forgiveness to forgive me? Mm. And it's just a really, it's a surprisingly kind of sweet conversation between them because you can see that they both, there's obviously love there and there's sure. feelings there, but they just are so in their own bullshit right now and they can't get out of it. So, yeah, it's there's going to be tension all season, I think. Yeah, I think young Uhtred's really going to keep his dad on his toes. Um, and Uhtred, honestly, mm-hmm. he needs somebody like that. He needs people in his life to be like, hey, buddy, I understand that, like, you're smart. You know what you're doing. But also, maybe consider things a different way. Because Uhtred isn't always the best at that. So, but yeah, I think it's going to be... Oh, what? At self-reflection? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see that relationship sort of develop over the season. Um, but yeah, as they're, you know, sailing off to Bebenberg, like Edward is dealing with shit back in Wessex because Athelred is, you know, trying to assert himself as King of Mercia all the time. And yeah, and Edward, you know, he's a young king. We don't know exactly how long he's been king at this point, but he's still extremely young. Um, and he doesn't love to listen to a lot of different opinions. So he basically just leans on his father-in-law um, and really cuts out, especially he cuts out the women in his life, Athelfled, who is, mm-hmm. you know, Queen of Mercia, and you think that he would want her opinion on her own people, and Aelswith, who is also from Mercia, you know, they both sort of offer him their opinions on the situation, and he really, he really just does not care. Um, he also doesn't seem to really care that much about his wife and son. Um, I don't know, there was just a really, like, dismissive mood to him in this whole scene where we kind of see his family I thought it was really interesting I mean you know this is his second wife he loved his first wife and this is you know not his first child um and so I think Edward has kind of decided you know I have to do this to be the king but like I don't care about my second family yeah I think like when you know when we kind of picked this up last season he was like you know what? Okay, I have to do it. I'm going to make the best of it. They, mm-hmm. him and his his current wife, the queen or soon to be queen, um, kind of bonded over that. That they were both kind of forced into this. And you thought, okay, well maybe this can like turn turn out to be something good. Um, but I think now that he's lived it for a while, he's starting to realize like, or he's already realized like this is not going to be <clears throat> what I had before. Right. And it sucks that he did have like a really, you know, a, a strong like. Relationship it was a love before, match. and he he had yeah. a yeah, and he had a family, and so I think that kind of weighs on him too. It's like I had this, and then I had to give it up. That like, that's going to cause some bitterness, mm-hmm. you know, with your with your new wife. And um, I don't know. I feel like in in a way, he kind of takes it out on his mother because definitely she's the one who made the match, and so and you see him, you know, bonding with Ethelhelm and like really taking his advice to heart, and so it. It makes me think that he does blame his mother. Um, And it's sad because she has a lot of wisdom to offer, especially in this whole kind of Mercia dealing with the bones of St. Oswald. Like, Mm -hmm. she knows what that means because she is from Mercia. And she could have really good insight into Ethelred's way of thinking and and what his next step might be, even more so than, like, Ethelfled. And yet... Like, she's just, she's got to sit in her damn chair and not say anything. Yeah. Um, and it's he doesn't, kind of sad. I feel, I feel for her. 
Yeah, he doesn't seek her counsel. He doesn't even really let her get to know her grandson that much. Like, she was extremely oh, shut out by Athelhelm. Straight to the heart. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, hey, buddy, let's go read some books. And he and the father-in-law is like, actually, our son's gonna, or our grandson is going to be a jock, not a nerd, so you can just go and sit in your corner. I never thought that I would really feel for Aleswith, but she's, I'm feeling a bit of pity for her. This, with this, this whole quarantine's thing. got a soft, to right. be honest. That's I mean, true. because I do feel for her. Um, but then she has this kind of interaction with Father Pierleg, uh, and she's like, you know, where's Bioka? I want to apologize, blah, blah, blah. I don't mm. think she really wants to apologize. I think she wants to use him 100%. to kind of scheme and influence Edward in some way. And Pierleg tells her, like, he's he's gone. He peaced out. That's what she you wanted. Told you told know? him to leave. <laughs> like, yes. And yeah. she's and she's like, you know, oh, he's what a, all of our allies are leaving us. What cowards they weren't. They were never like true to us. And I'm just like, get out of here, Karen. Like, you <laughs> told him to go. You basically threatened his life. Like, he's not going to stick around for you. You never liked him. Right. So, yeah, there's there's sides to ales with like at one. One, you know, one moment you could feel bad for her and the next you're like, back on her bullshit. I don't know why I ever thought like she would change. Um, yeah, she's, you know, so, she's, a really, know. she's got some interesting arcs this season, I think. Yeah, she's a really complex character, a really multifaceted character. And I like that about her. Like, even when I like mm-hmm. hate the character, she's one of my favorites to watch because there's just there's so much going on there. And you know, I don't need all my female characters to be good guys or unambiguously good guys. Like, you know, show me some yeah, emotional death. Assholes, I love right. it. I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, she's she's feeling super powerless right now. Um, and, you know, in some ways she brought that on herself and in others, it's kind of not fair. Uh, speaking of unfair, mm. um, Alfred thinks it's super unfair that he's got to sell this fake heart of a saint like it's obviously not the real heart Mm -hmm. um but he's he there's something about it's so interesting to me how this show like uh addresses christianity and the religion and and what you thought of it back then because it is so much like um paganism like with the this whole like hunting of the bones and uh alfridge is really concerned that if he gives this up you know, he's basically giving up his seat in Bebenburg. Like, he thinks that because he has honored St. Oswald and because he's been so pious, that's why he is where he is. Yeah. He's not in a really good position right now, so I don't know, like, why that matters to him so much. But um, he's kind of, you know, not about selling this heart, even though he desperately needs the men and they don't have enough silver to buy it. Um, and so things are looking really good for Uhtred, and we're like, yes, like, you know, maybe we're actually going to take back Bebenberg. Yeah. Um, but you got to get north first, and apparently uh, the north is, like, not, like, friendly. And it's a rough doesn't, place. Like, yeah. I mean, who would have guessed? Right. Yeah, they head to this northern town, I believe it was called Grimsby, and they're basically looking for the monks that are trying to get into Bebenburg. And so um, Uhtred tells young Uhtred, he's like, all right, so what you're going to do is you're going to get in with these monks and you're going to follow them in and you're going to open the seagate and let us into Bebenburg. And so, but first they have to find the monks 
and it's you know where are they <laughs> in the whorehouse? You know, I although of before course. we get to that, I really loved the scene between Bayoka and Young Uhtred, where he basically tells him, mm. "Listen, like I know your dad can seem rough, but this is his history. This is what happened to him. This is why he is the way that he is." And I think Young Uhtred doesn't quite take that conversation the way um, Bayoka intended him to. He basically is like, all right, great. So I can save my dad's soul. So this is how I'm going to do it. And Bayoka's like, listen, man, I've been trying to get this guy to love Jesus for like 30 years and it's just not going to take. But like, you know, you can try. Go for it. But uh, yeah, don't, uh, oh don't put too many how eggs. How pissed would you be if you were Bayoka and like this little, <laughs> this young kid finally right. got Uhtred to like be baptized and really accept Christianity? Yeah. <laughs> like I'd just be like done. Yeah. I throw off my habit and just like walk into the sea. I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the conversation too. It just, it makes me, he looks so weary. Like he looks yeah. so tired. And I don't want to see him looking like that because I just feel like, you know, that's not, that's not a good sign. Get him like a five hour energy shot and like my anxiety about Bioka's like lifespan. You rest. know, I, I th- yeah, I think Bayoka, I think losing Tira and losing Alfred and sort of his sense mm. of his sense of family and his sense of purpose took a lot out of him. Um, and yep. you can you can definitely tell that he is more of a burdened man than he has been in the past. And that's pretty heartbreaking to see. Um, so, For yeah, sure. while they hang out at the boat, um, the Kokum crew decides to visit the local whorehouse and, you know, it's uncomfortable. You find some <laughs> monks engaging in some, you know, S and M. It's great. Um, I did I have a question about this, though. Yeah, I don't know did if I you, have an answer, um, but um, <laughs> ask the question. Unless you're supposed to have all the answers. <laughs> um, okay, like there's this like little scene where um, Uhtred and Osfoth are like, you know, you're going to pretend to be the virgin because no one would believe I'm the virgin. I loved ha, that. Ha, ha. That was good. Um, yeah, it was great. But then I was like, wait, is Osfoth like, has Osfoth like gotten it on with someone? Has he been in a relationship? Because like, that's a romance I would like to see. I mean, I probably wouldn't. I mean, probably not a relationship because, you know, they've got stuff to do and cook them. But like, you know, the baby They've monk's got been running and pillaging. Right. The baby monk's been running with the uh, Viking boy band for a while now. So there's going to be women. And so, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's safe to say that Osferth has. He's experienced. Right. I don't know if I'd say experienced, but he's had experience. It's happened once. <laughs> but yeah, I good think. Good for him. Uh, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. You know, life's hard. Might as well have a good time once in a while. you have to do. Right. You've got to, like, wear that haircut for, like, Uh, the rest of your life. Why does he still have that haircut? Why? (laughs) You don't have to have the bowl cut anymore, young man. Um, You just want to torture us. Bless. Um, But, yeah, so they find the monks engaging in some extremely hypocritical behavior. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they uh, send young Uhtred on his way. I'm, I'm honestly kind of, yeah, I'm surprised that Uhtred Jr. is playing, like, such a big part in this plan. I mean, Me he is, like, the linchpin. Like, he if is. he doesn't get into the fortress and um, open the gate and send a signal, then, 
like, it's all screwed. It's and a so, lot of pressure on a very young boy and a very tenuous relationship. So Uhtred is really you showing. just met him. Yeah. Uhtred's really putting a like lot of ago. faith in his son. And I think, I think that makes a difference, though. Like, you know, the fact that young Uhtred sees that his dad has this faith in him, even if it may be misplaced, who knows? Um, mm-hmm. I think the fact that he has that faith in him made him want to do the job. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a sort of symbiotic decision. Because he has faith in him, he's going to prove that he should have faith in him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know if Uhtred thought of it like that deeply. <laughs> well, But I think you know. you're right. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think... There's there's a bond beginning to form, and to give him that level of responsibility speaks a lot about, you know, how Uhtred sees him. And so, yeah, it's a nice little moment of like, okay, well, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to kill anyone, but I'm going to do it for you. Because I know that the spirit of our family is within you. That will give you a strength that you do not know yet. I will try and do as you need, but I will not kill a man. And so we leave off there, and we and we kind of head to the mercy side of things. I, th- I feel Ugh. like there's... There's two two sides of The Last Kingdom right now, which is Uhtred and his Bebenberg stuff, and then we've got all of the shit in Mercia. And mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of it. There's a lot uh, of it. Ethelred is the worst, as always, and he is um, not handling Edith's, like, kind of teasing very well and yeah, gets he's... to the point where he's like, you know what, I'll just kill my wife. Right. And you can be queen. And she's like, oh, Mm. okay, wait. What? (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. I have enjoyed Edith as a character. I think it's really interesting. I Mm -hmm. think she's, you know, seeing her have to use her position very carefully to sort of stay in Ethelred's favor while also not doing things that make her feel too gross that she can't sleep at night. Um, And, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think hearing him say, all right, well, I'll become a widower so I can marry you and then we can hook up. um, I think that was a really scary moment for her. And I think I think she knows who Athelred is and doesn't like it. But she's sort of in this position where she has to play nice with him. Um, But I think she has a lot more caution about him than her brother does. Like, Erdwolf Mm, shows up and is like, hey, man, have you guys hooked up yet? She's like, no, he wants to kill his wife for me. And her brother is like, this is great. Let's do that. And she's like, yikes, these men are terrible. And I think she's in a really tough spot. It's also stupid to think that—and she's not stupid. I mean, clearly she's the smarter sibling. For sure. Um, And— she knows that if he's so willing to kill his current wife, who their marriage united kingdoms, and there's a lot going on there politically. Sure. If he's willing to, like, off her and risk all of that, then whenever he finally gets Edith and they're, like, hooking up and stuff, when he gets bored of her, it's right. going to be nothing for him to, like, get rid of her. Right. So Edith, like, is playing the long game, and her brother is just kind of, like— He's got tunnel vision of where he's like, okay, I I want one thing. I want our family name to be restored. Um, all I have to do is lead his armies, and then he's going to forgive, like, our father's past indiscretions, and then everything will be good. And Edith knows that that's not the case. Like, she sees how kind of tenuous Ethelred's, like, reign is and knows that if, you know, things fall apart for him, like, everything that they do for him is just going to be in vain. 
And um, yeah, she's she's trying the best she can. She's surrounded by fools. Um, they're dangerous fools, though. And yeah, I feel for her. I hope she makes it out because um, I think we need more like interesting female characters for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of, well, probably every woman on the show right now is in a very complex situation. Like we kind of, after we see what's going on in Mercia, it cuts to Brita and Canute. Um, and, you know, she's Canute's woman now and all this stuff. But Heston reminds Canute, he's like, hey, I know the truth that you had Ragnar killed. Mm. Rita will always love Ragnar more than you. So if she finds out about that, that could be extremely bad for you. Um, and so I think this lack of knowledge on Brita's part, I think that's just like a ticking time bomb. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she'll be quite as willing to go along with Canute if she knows that he was behind Ragnar's death. For sure. And I mean, things are going well right now for them. They've invaded Mercia. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to kill Ethelred. They assumed that he would be there. He's not because he thought oh, the Danes have gone, I'm going to start pillaging and, like, taking over East Anglia. And, mm-hmm. But it's still a huge victory to get um, Ethelred's, like, seat, like, his seat of power and to um, be able to kind of make fools of his lords and the eldermen and everything. But it's, I think, the, like, most interesting thing, again, I don't like Heston. No. But I think the most interesting thing about Heston is he's, so good at reading people like yes. he's very he he's very shrewd and so mm-hmm. he he has that conversation with Kana and he he knows when to kind of like let off the gas about the whole Ragnar thing but then he goes straight to Brita and he starts like picking away at her um like relationship with Kana and her her trust and and what she thinks it is and so you know, he kind of makes a comment. It's so pervy, but mm-hmm. he he makes a comment about like I've noticed your body's been changing. Which right. like, bro, no, yikes, <laughs> don't notice anything about my body. She's gonna but, stab um, him. Like, don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, for real. You don't you don't say that to any woman, but definitely not Brita. Right. Um. And and so like, I guess she's pregnant. I mean, it sense because you know the curse was lifted last season right and she's been hooking up with Kanut. it's interesting because she's like you do not tell him like this is a secret she's keeping from him because she's kind of thought about it too like maybe i am um but i think for her like you know this whole conquering england thing is much more important than a baby at this at this point and so it's just like these little secrets that they have from each other that i think are going to, obviously they're going to come to light, and I think it's going to really kind of destroy this alliance that they have. Yeah, I think uh, secret children uh, can really make things complicated, which is what we see in Bebenberg, too. Like, Aelfrich's son, Wittgar, who everybody thought drowned at sea, returns, um, and Mm -hmm. he brings with him a band of mercenaries to help his father, which honestly really tips the scales in Bebenberg's favor now. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's a very different situation than Uhtred's spies discovered. And so now, now it feels like Uhtred and his men are sailing into a trap. And it's not even a trap that Aelfrich intentionally set, but it, uh, it sounds like... Yeah, he just got lucky. He just got lucky, which kills me. Like, the man has no, like, you know, planning skills, but he just got lucky. Well, and he got, I mean, extremely lucky because his son comes back. I mean, he looks like some, like, second-rate 
Captain Jack Sparrow. Yes. Living in the desert. He's like, you know, yeah, I've gone to all the corners of the world and I've collected warriors. Like, who the hell are you? But you have heard of me, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, he's like, Dad, I'm back, even though you banished me and that might have led to my death, except I survived. It's just like, it's almost like too good to be true. And this kid is Aylfridge's son. I can't wholly trust that he's there, like, with good intentions. Mm. Um, but it does, no matter what, it throws a wrench in Uhtred's plan. And yeah. um, not only does he bring men, but he also brings the the kind of surety that Aylfridge's line has continued. And so here's yeah. another contender for, you know, Bebenberg's seat, and it, he's an heir. And so it's like... Now we're starting to really kind of uh, erect some roadblocks for Uhtred to getting Bebenberg, and he has no idea about it, so it's so scary. Yeah. I'm worried. Very yeah. worried. Should be worried. It's it's a lot. Um, yeah. And oh, is it? You're supposed to, like, comfort me. <laughs> I know, but I have no <laughs> comfort to, like, to give. Okay. I'm worried, too. It's going to be bad. Um, yeah. So, like— Everybody's kind of dealing with kids they didn't plan on right now. So, like, Mm -hmm. Aleswith goes to visit Edward's first wife because she's super mad that Edward's current wife is going to become queen. So she goes and meets um, Edgwin. Like, she talks to Hild and is like, hey, tell me about this other family because I'm clearly not going to get in with this one. So maybe I can, you know, be somebody else's grandma. Um, and so she talks to Hild and Hild, you know, gives her the 411 on edge one and basically says, listen, like ever since everything went down with Edward, she's miserable. She doesn't get to see her children. She occasionally sees their daughter, but not very often. She hasn't seen her son since he was taken away and she's living in this convent and she's pretty miserable. Um, and I think in a way, Aleswith feels some remorse and, she, mm-hmm. you know, she can't make things better because of what she did. Um, but I think she wants to make amends in a small way. So she lets Edwin see her son, um, little Athelstan, um, who is in historically extremely important. Like Edward's mm-hmm. reign does not go great. Spoiler alert to things that happened, you know. 1500 years ago um but yes get in the history of it Alyssa <laughs> yeah a little so historian like, <laughs> yeah so like Athelstan eventually becomes like the king of like the first king of a united England so he really is like Alfred's true successor in the scheme mm. of history so he's extremely important um and Aleswith, you know, she sort of meets him, and he's a very, like, studious little boy. So I could tell she could see, like, shades of Alfred in him. Um, mm-hmm. And she allows his mother to meet with him briefly. Um, and, yeah, that was, like, it was a really, like, emotional moment. Um, like, Edwin doesn't know Aleswith. Like, she knows of her, and she knows that Aleswith basically ruined her life. But she doesn't recognize this woman who let her meet with her son as Aleswith. Um, right. And yeah, Aleswith is basically like, all right, we're going to keep him safe because, you know, he will be important, but you can't visit him again. It's so sad. Yeah. It's like, even when she does something nice, she ends it with like kind of a twist of the knife, you know? And I get it because to keep this kid safe, I mean, obviously, you know, Ethelhelm would 
like kill him at For a sure. moment's notice. For sure. Um, <clears throat> and to keep him safe, you know, you have to cut all of his ties to Edward so that no one suspects that this is, you know, his son, mm-hmm. um, his firstborn son. And so I get I get it. I just does she have to tell her? I mean, I would have just let her let her go and be like, yes, and you know, maybe again you can see him or something. And just know that you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Soften I just, the blow with a lie. A little white lie. Ooh. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Um yeah, I was interested. I thought at first, you know, Elspeth's plan, her plan might be to reunite Edward with Edwin mm. um, because they had a great love and he's unhappy with his current wife. And, you know, maybe that would drive a wedge between him and Ethelhelm, you know, if, if he was hooking up with someone else. Yeah. But I think Aylesworth is thinking more long term mm-hmm. and she sees like the influence that Ethelhelm has on Edward's son now. And so she sees Ethel Stan as, as someone, as a boy she can raise right. and maybe he'll be king one day. You know what I mean? I think she's playing this very smart and, you know, thinking, thinking, past her rivalry with, you know, Edward's father-in-law right now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, good for her. I think you know, that's the right move. If she can keep this kid alive, like, that might be her best chance to kind of get back in power. Yeah, yeah. she basically tells Edwin, you know, get over it. It would never have worked out between you two anyway, but also I'll take care of your son. But I don't think she ever, I don't mm-hmm. think... Edwin ever picks up that she is actually Aleswith. Like, I didn't get that impression. Um, But, yeah, like, it's, I think it's smart of Aleswith to sort of have these contingency plans because Edward, when he finds out that, you know, Canute is pissed that Athelred unwittingly outwitted him um, and is bringing down hell in East Anglia, like, Canute's angry. He's taking it out on Mercia. And Edward, when he finds out about this, he, like, refuses to listen to anybody. Like, he's refusing to listen Mm -hmm. to his sister, his mother. He's even refusing to listen to Athelhelm and is basically like, everybody shut up. I'll figure it out. Leave me alone until I do. Um, But Mercia doesn't have that kind of time. So Edward, you know, he's proving that he's not always a super prudent ruler. So, you know, Training up a successor to be different than his father is not a bad idea on Elswith's part. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> Edward has never, Edward's never been Alfred. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in past seasons, I thought that was really good because there was a lot, uh, Al- Alfred had a lot of flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but I miss him, though. Made I miss a, him on the show. I know, because he would have made decisions and quicker decisions than Edward is doing right now. Edward is just so, uh, he's so ready to kind of just stand back and watch. And that that wasn't always Alfred. Alfred sometimes, like, stuck his neck out because he had this dream of a united England, and it feels like Edward's not as kind of committed to that dream. And so, yeah, you see where their kind of, their paths um, diverge with his kind of reaction to what's happening in Mercia. I don't really want to go back to Mercia because it's just like Canute and Brita banging and that really like it's put a me off my breakfast and I don't want to think about it. Yeah. Um, so we can just skip ahead to Bebenberg if you want. <laughs> I mean, you know, in terms of sons being more or less like their fathers, I think he may, you know, he may disagree with his father at a religious level, but I think young Utrecht is kind of learning to be 
cunning like his dad. Like we see Mm -hmm. him get in with those monks in a really smart way. And those dudes are not to be trusted, first of all. Yikes. Um, Mm. And he also manages to get them inside the castle. Like when they show up at Bevenberg and are like, hey, we want to you know, buy the heart of St. Oswald. And Elfridge basically tells him, actually, no, bye. Um, young Uhtred, like, he really, <laughs> he really, like, thinks on his feet and manipulates Elfridge into letting them in through just really over-the-top flattery that Elfridge is completely mm-hmm. powerless against. Um, so, yeah, without Young Uhtred, those monks never would have gotten in. And, you know, like we said earlier, this is a lot of pressure to put on a young kid as you know, part of the plan, but he pulled off what he had to do, except for the part where he did not notice the huge band of mercenaries currently residing in Bebenberg. That, that slipped <laughs> past his notice. Okay, to be fair to him, right. they were walking one path and the mercenaries looked to be like Tucked hanging in out corner. in a little corner, right. you know, like right. if your observational skills aren't um, what they should be, you could just easily miss them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I was so impressed with young Uhtred, and uh, I saw so much of Uhtred in him when he was kind of manipulating Aelfrich. Like, that's that's just, like, an instinctual thing that he's inherited from his dad because Uhtred has always been a smooth talker and been able to kind of outwit people. Mm. Um, and he's only gotten better at it, you know, as the season, seasons have gone on. And so, you know, Uhtred... Junior is he's up in Bevenberg. He's um, coming through. He sends a signal to his dad, um, and it looks to be going really well. And then, well, before of course, we get to that, I want to talk. Before we get to that, I want to talk about the scene between Bayoka and Utrid. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Where they're on the it. boat, where they've like basically, you know, they've shown up at Bevenberg. They're back in their home, and I loved the scene. Um, where Uhtred, you know, because we know what's waiting for them in the castle, like, we can't be, like, fully hell yeah about everything. But I mm-hmm. love this moment where Uhtred is like, is this the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And Bayoka is like, listen, like, this is our home. This is where we belong. You've worked so hard to get here. Like, now is your time. We're not leading men to defeat. Fight will be furious. Men will fall. But I would not encourage you if I thought you would lose. Feel the air here, Richard. Feel its cold breath. This is the air that you and I were born to breathe. We're meant to be here. And I loved, I loved having that moment between them. And I just, I love their relationship. I love that Bayoka, you know, obviously they've had their rifts in the past, but I love that they ultimately always find their way back to each other as allies and friends. Um, and I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, the importance of Bevenberg and their relationship, this is where it all started. And, you know, if you think, yeah, if you think back to season one when he was just a little boy, I mean, the the one constant has always been Bioka. And Mm -hmm. for him to to kind of give that blessing of like, yes, like now is the time we've done enough for everyone else. Like now is is our time to kind of take back what's ours Mm -hmm. it's it's really like empowering and and you want to like kind of fist pump for it but at the same time it's kind of like it's almost bittersweet because you know it's not going to be as easy as they think it's going to be right um and i wish it was it's just (sighs) 
whatever. I guess <laughs> you have to throw some things in for plot. Right. I don't know. They have but, to put us through um, some pain so the good moments feel right. better. Whatever. We're never going to get to Bevenberg. Never. Um, and we've come so close. I know. But, yeah, so so they have this really sweet moment, and, and then they get the signal from young Uhtred. Yeah. Um, and... They're, it's so sad. Like, to think about it now, it's so sad because, like, they're joking about, you know, Finn is joking about, like, that's the, the guard I want to kill. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just they're they're so optimistic and and they have no idea what's what's waiting for them. And there was, like, there were a couple of moments, you know, through that whole kind of scene where they're they're trying to get in because young Uhtred is, is caught by um, Aelfrich's son. I, I don't want to remember his name. He's been bad. <laughs> I don't know. Who cares? Um, he he catches him, kind of brings him out to the square, kind of labels him as a spy, and they start, you know, beating up on him, trying to get him to tell them who he's working for. Um, so he doesn't get to, to kind of, I guess, do everything that he needed to do. Mm. Um, so there's like a delay. And so he's, he's kind of dealing with, with this in the square and then, Uhtred and the gang are trying to get into the castle. And there were so many moments where I thought Uhtred's going to watch them, like, murder his son. son. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah I, I just knew he wasn't going to make it in time. I really liked that moment where Uhtred basically had to pull an Indiana Jones under the portcullis. That was a fun little bit of action. <laughs> um, you know, okay, I hate to bring it back to Game of Thrones, but I feel about Wigar mm. the same way that I felt about... Um, Euron Greyjoy, I feel like Aelfrich oh has been set yes. up as this, like, the big bad for Uhtred, but actually it's not him, and now it's going to be his son who's going to show up from the sea and immediately, you know, claim that he's this big bad, but he hasn't really earned that, but we're supposed to think that about him, and it just, I don't know, mm-hmm. the fact that, like, he's being set up as the big bad for Uhtred now felt very much like Euron Greyjoy fighting Jamie in the last season, um, which I don't for sure. love. Um, but yeah, so. We just need him to, like, promise some elephants right. that don't come through. And right. Then- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there it is. But yeah, so, like, young Uhtred's getting the shit beat out of him by Aelfridge. And I really liked this moment, though, where, I mean, like, I don't like the moments where, like, he murders the monks even though they sucked. But, like, I love how he sort of <laughs> recognizes a familiar thing in young Uhtred and he can't quite place it. And then young Uhtred is like, screw it. I'm going to tell him who I am. I'm Uhtred of Bevenberg. And Aelfrich is not pleased. Um, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Again, such an Uhtred senior move. Exactly. Whatever. Exactly. (laughs) Just like his dad in that way. Um, And yeah, so Aelfridge is going to kill him, but Uhtred gets in and sort of takes Aelfridge by the throat and is like, I'm the true Lord of Bebenburg, I'm taking it back. And I think he, well, I know, he really assumes that everybody's going to immediately switch to his side because Aelfridge, you know, sucks so bad. But then Aiden the monk is like, actually, we've got the son of Aelfridge who is very much alive and he's the true Lord or the true heir of Bebenburg now. And, you know... Things get a little dicey quite quickly. And here's the thing. I think it's, like, so kind of crappy to be like, yeah, we're going to take this guy over Uhtred. Mm. Because everyone knows, like, Aelfrich was the worst, and 
they may not know that he tried to kill his nephew, mm-hmm. um, but they know that Uhtred would have been king if right. he had, you know, not been taken. And so there's, like, that kind of absence of loyalty there. But I think, too, it's like— I think it depends again, on— in that time— I think it depends on, like, whether or not they were around then to have that loyalty to, like, Uhtred's father. True. It's been a while. It's been a long time. So it depends on whether or not these are some of the same men that were around then or if they're all just, like, new guys that Aelfrich has been taken on. Yeah. But, like, I think, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, like, life back then was really brutal. And I think unless you were one of the ruling class, you had to be pretty— flexible in who you served you know what i mean if you're gonna survive you're gonna be like all right well this guy is king now or not necessarily king but the lord now so i need to follow him if i'm gonna be able to like eat so i think (laughs) (laughs) i think that these guys are in an uncomfortable position especially if they haven't heard of the previous lord of bevenberg utred um so Yeah. yeah i think there's they have to be pretty mercenary about it but yeah, really does not go well for Uhtred here. No, I think he thinks, too, one, he thinks people are going to follow him. Two, mm. he thinks, well, I've got Aelfrich, you know, I've got a knife to his throat. Like, even if they were unsure, they've got to do what I say because mm-hmm. they're not going to want to see their lord killed. Right. Um, Except his son doesn't give uh, a shit. doesn't care. Nope. He thinks, like, oh, yeah, no. That's not why he came. Like, mm-hmm. he came for Bevenberg, not for his dad. Right. And so, you know, he's standing up there on the, like, he's standing up in the fortress, and he's, like, looking down on everything. He's got this, like, damn crossbow. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, you know, I'm going to make moves for myself. And instead of killing Uhtred or Uhtred's son or whatever, he kills his dad. Like, yeah. arrow straight through the eye. Removes it's Uhtred's a shocking leverage. moment. Yeah, and now all of a sudden, Uhtred and the guys are outnumbered, um, and they don't have anything to bargain with. Nope. And yeah, it's uh, it ends on such a cliffhanger. Oh my god, <laughs> just unbearable cliffhanger. So get Terrible. ready to fight. It's gonna be so bad, so bloody. Um, Okay, guys, we've got a little treat for you. Um, we actually got to chat with Uhtred himself, Alexander Draymond, Woo. coolest guy, yeah. um, about season four and all of the action that's happened so far. So here's what he had to say um, when we asked him a couple of questions about what's in store. So this season, we finally get to see Uhtred um, as a father, and but his son is not what he expected at all, I think. So will Uhtred ever not be plagued by the Christian God in his relationships? <laughs> he will always be plagued by the Christian God. That's the point. His paganism <laughs> is uh, his real curse. No, I, I think, well, it's interesting because we've seen Uhtred struggle in a lot of different relationships and, you know, his friendships, romantic relationships. Why do you think it was you know, finally time to explore that father-son bond? Well, because at some point we just have to see those kids that he keeps fathering all around the country. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's just part of of him growing up and growing older, and and since he he doesn't really look older, he should at least have kids that look older. Yeah, lucky for you, you guys don't have to do any, like, prosthetics and, and really age. That's, that I must know, be nice. I know, I we know. Really, we really got to talk about this for next season. I don't know what's going to what's gonna happen with that. Um, 
I mean, next season he's supposed to be uh, mid to late fifties, according mm. to the books. Um, oh. You know, obviously we're veering away from that, but this season Uhtred is is uh, early fifties already. You know, according to the books. Wow. But obviously that's not what we're trying to portray. Well, you know, give you give you some crow's feet and a little gray, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this season, more than ever, we could really, you know, feel the bond between Uhtred and his pretty boys. Um, how have you guys, you know, sort of developed that camaraderie on and off screen? Well, there's so much of it off screen that we don't really need to do any work on screen in order to portray that. You know, we, we have become Love best it. friends in, in life. And uh, I, I miss them so much, especially at the moment, watching the series and and. And we talk a lot because there's interview stuff going on, and um, you know I, I really miss him. And, and when when we're on set, we spend every minute together. When we're off set in Budapest, it's it's like a it's like going to work with your going coming out to play with your best friends, going to work. You know, so there's no no work that we need to do in order to pretend anything. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, so I guess. Okay, yeah. and we're back. <laughs> yeah, hopefully that sheds some light. Well, I don't know, but um, it's cool to to hear uh, like from people that are actually in it, and they obviously know more than we do, and we're just going to keep speculating. So now it's time for our next episode wishes. This is when we issue our demands for upcoming episodes, like the spoiled toddlers that we are. Here's what we want to see, when we want to see it, and why we won't be denied. Alyssa, what do you think is going to be happening in the next couple episodes? Honestly, like, this episode ends on what might possibly be the most brutal cliffhanger so far on the show. Mm. Um, our boys are seriously outnumbered, so thank God this is a Netflix show instead of a week-to-week, because I think that would have been unbearable. Um, oh. Just the worst having to wait a week to see the next episode. Unacceptable. Like, I know we're spoiled. Yeah, right. I know we're spoiled now, but, like, but I like, can't no. imagine, like... Absolutely not. We used to do that. I know. Yeah. My anxiety would not take it. No, for sure not. Um, but, yeah, like, outside of our fave survival, I'm really hoping to see, like, more communication between Uhtred and his son. Um, I think this this sort of developing relationship might be my favorite part of the season so far. I love seeing their back and forth and them butting heads and also starting to understand each other more. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that. And I'm also hoping to see someone take Edward down a peg, but I'm not sure that would happen because we're only two episodes in. So I think that'll play out over the long game. But, God, just listen to somebody else, Edward. Jeez. 
and cut your hair. Cut your I hair. Mean, maybe that's the whole, <laughs> that's your problem. Right. <laughs> Too much hair. It didn't end well um, for Jim Morrison, and it won't end well for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I'm a very simple Simple woman. Mm. Um, I just want to see the whole Cookham crew Understandable. escape Bebenberg with their heads attached to their shoulders. I, I think that's too much to ask. Um, I don't think I'm going to get my wish. Mm. But, yeah, if, if I have, like, one prayer to send up to the heavens, it would be that just everyone survives and gets out of Bebenberg. And let's just leave Bebenberg alone. Like, it's it's. A, What's the big deal cursed. about Bedenburg? Like, like just, <laughs> who cares? Oh, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's up in north. It's very cold. Let's just go back down to Cookham. Right. Everything was fine when we were in Cookham. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Last Kingdom has a massive cast of interesting characters, and nearly everyone gets their time to shine. Our arsling of the episode is the character who truly goes above and beyond to win the war or simply win our hearts. So, Jessica, who is your arsling in this episode? So, I'm going to uh, give a shout-out to Uhtred Jr. Mm. Um, I think he really, like, did a lot to, like, earn respect to this episode. He's he's still, like, a little, you know, pious shit who thinks he knows <laughs> everything. But I think you can chalk that up to, like, he's him a being a teenager, obviously. Yeah, yeah come on. Um, I think, you know, he came through when his dad needed him. Uh and there were moments when he even, like, helped the plan along. Like, he, it could have, there were a couple moments where this plan could have died and he could have been like, ah, I tried, whatever. Um, but he was able to, like, quickly think on his feet and he kind of put himself out there to help his dad. And I think we can't, like, ignore that. And, um, yeah, I think he's got some Viking in him and I couldn't be more proud of him. Yeah, that's a really good choice. Um, I'm going to go with Bayoka in this episode. Um, now that he's, you know, back where he belongs in Uhtred's crew, he's really proving why he's so valuable. Um, you know, he may not be a warrior, but he's really there as like the heart of the group. Um, you know, he admonishes young Uhtred to be patient with his dad and gives, you know, Uhtred the encouragement that he needs to take back Bevenberg, even if it might be a huge mistake, but that is beyond their control at this point. Um, you know, Bayoka is a guy that you want at your side. And, you know, he proved mm. he proved in this episode that he really has been one of, you know, Uhtred's best and most steadfast allies over three seasons. So Bayoka's Bayoka's my He's one. He's a real ride week. or die. Yeah, he is. He yeah. is. He is the epitome of a ride or die. So my arsling is Bayoka. I just episode. want him to like keep writing and not die. <laughs> mm, yeah. Like keep the writing going. Right. Get ready to shame none, the worst character of the episode with us. It doesn't matter if you're a Saxon or a Dane. Anyone can be a turd, and we're calling out the biggest one of the week. So, Alyssa, you get to go first. Um, honestly, screw those monks. I hated them. They were, like, <laughs> off getting, you know, hypocritically giving their, you know, leaving. Ugh. Anyway, they had their fun in the whorehouse. Then they were, you know, ready to ignore young Usha when they thought he was a beggar, despite, you know, preaching the good word. And then, you know, threatening to sell them into sexual slavery to pay their bills. And I just, I hated them. Like, sure, they were only there for the episode, rest in pieces. Um, but they really proved that they <laughs> truly sucked in a really short time. So, uh, yeah. Bye. <laughs> I mean, like, to be fair, there's only a couple monks on this whole show that I've really liked. I think I, it's all the just Bayoka just... and Pure Lake. That's it. Yeah. Th- those are the two. Anyone else, all the other months can just go die. Um, 
But yeah, these guys were the worst. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think it's got to be Edward. Mm. I don't. What are you doing, Boo? Like, <laughs> where's your mind at? Because you know, obviously, there's some sense to his plan not to kind of rush to Mercia's defense because. Canute would have the higher ground, and maybe he's been paying attention to Uhtred and his tutelage when it comes to hills. Mm. Um, but I think, like, the more we focus on Edward, the more I just see, like, how unsure he is in this leadership role. Yeah. Um, even though he's been raised for it, and he's obviously been king for a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. his, he's got a son that looks to be, like, I don't know, four or five. I don't know. I don't know how to tell kids' ages. He could be eight. He could be three. <laughs> I don't knows? know. He's 16. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, he's he's got everyone, like, coming at him, and he's choosing to trust, you know, the wrong people's advice. Mm. And I think add to that, like, his kind of casual apathy to the death of innocent Mercians, it's just really troubling. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously Edward is going through something, um, but I don't have time to feel for him right now. Like, you're a king. Buck up and do your job. Or let your sister do it. Or let your sister do it. Yeah, I agree. Because she should have been king all along. Mm. No character is safe on The Last Kingdom, but some seem to be flirting with death more than others. Ninth century life was fleeting and barbaric, but that doesn't mean we can't have some fun with it. Get ready to place your bets on who's headed for Valhalla soon, because this is the Viking death pool. Jessica... Who is, you know, flirting pretty close to R.I.P. for you right now? Who's not? Yeah, seriously. Fair. Fair. Things are, like, not going well in Bevenberg. And, like, I'm I'm happy that we were wrong about Aelfrich not dying soon enough this season. Mm. But, you know, when the last kingdom giveth, the last kingdom taketh away. (laughs) So we were given... I think we're given one death we've really been wanting and hoping for, and now I think we're going to, you know, there's got to be one that we're dreading that's on the way. Mm. Um, personally, I'm worried for Ethelflaed's safety. Obviously, I'm still worried about Bioka. Um, but I'm I I think this kind of interaction with Ethelred and Edith, and and the fact that she's you know going to put herself in harm's way um, to protect Mercia. Uh, it's just, it's not good all around. So I, I hope Ethel, Ethel Flood's on our guard. And um, I love Eldhelm. Uh, yeah. I just don't think he's the best, like, bodyguard. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how, how much he could really do to protect her. Like, I think Uhtred needs to get back pretty quick. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Uhtred and crew, they're heading into Bevenberg extremely unprepared. So it's it's going to be bad. We're going to suffer losses. Um, but on a different note, I'm really interested to see how things play out with Canute and Brita, honestly. Like, mm. Heston let Canute know, like, hey, I know that you're responsible for Ragnar's death. And Brita doesn't know that, but she'll probably be pissed if she finds out. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for a knife in the throat eventually for Canute. Um, but we'll see, we'll see how things go for him when she eventually gets that information, because like they've talked about it enough that she's for sure going to find out at some point. And I think that'll be really bad for her current transactional relationship. Okay, guys, now this is clearly a very serious podcast about a very serious show, but sometimes it's nice to indulge in a little thirst. It's 2020. The world is on fire. Honestly, we deserve this. So this is our time to celebrate the thirstiest moments that really blew our skirts up this episode. 
Alyssa? Um, basically, all sexual contact in this episode was negatively hot. Absolutely not. <laughs> I declare this episode not thirsty. Capital N, capital Ooh. T. Like, we had it too good after last week's, like, romance novel hookup between Uhtred and Athelflaed, and now we must pay the price. And that is for a totally extremely unsexy episode. You are not wrong. Mm-hmm. Um I was grasping at straws to find something, like, worth talking about thirst-wise. It sure as hell ain't that hookup between Brita and Canute. Just upsetting. Um, I think (laughs) it's so upsetting. I I guess, like, I could make a case and, um, like, not to be, like, you know, pervy because he is, like, a teen. Um, But I could make a case for Uchir Jr. because, you know, he's young and he's got, like, a god-awful haircut. Um, but he's throwing off some major Timothy Chalamet vibes. I could see that. You know how I feel about our Timmy. Ugh. And, um, yeah, that, that curly mop, the always-on-the-brink-of-tears <laughs> expression. It, it just the makes me want to, like, go call... Yeah, the cheekbones. It makes me want to go watch Call Me By Your Name and eat a peach. Oh, so man. Okay. you got to get the thirst where <laughs> <so> you can. <laughs> oh, yeah. Since we recorded our previous seasons, the world has changed a little bit. Life has ground to a halt, and we're just doing our best not to lose our minds in quarantine. So goodbye, Geek Out, and welcome to Self-Care Corner, where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and doing to stave off the seemingly endless alone time. Jessica, what are you doing to cope right now? Okay, so this is, uh, if you know me, you know, like I'm... A city girl, I, mm. I don't like the outdoors. I don't trust nature. Um, but I'm gardening. Yeah. I'm learning to cross stitch. Love it. I'm watching these YouTube videos of, like, these indigenous, like, builders who build underground pools with, like, primitive tools. I'm going to need a link um, to that. That sounds extremely cool. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's like ASMR. Um uh, but YouTube style. Mm. And, um, you know, next I'll probably be, like, churning my own butter. Like, I'm <laughs> turning into a Little House on the Prairie character. I love it. And honestly, it's, like, it's such a stress-free life. Mm. Like, I get why people want to return to, like, simpler times without, like, technology and everything. Because it's just, yeah, I don't feel the need to, like, constantly be on and constantly be doing something. Yeah. So I guess in a way, like, this has been, this quarantine has has been pretty good. And if I can, like, get a tomato out of my tomato plant, like, watch the fuck out, world. I'm coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a plot in my local community garden, but I haven't been able to get out there yet. So I will be joining you in the gardening world soon. Um, I'm mostly... I'm so excited. We'll have to, like, share what we're growing. Yes, Perfect. I have, I was, okay, so I ended up leaving for a while, like seven weeks. I was away from home and I, I have a lot of houseplants um, and I was extremely worried that they were all going to die, but they, most of them made it. So I've had my own plant babies to tend with. Um, but mostly I've just become an absolute douchebag about coffee. Like I've always had that tendency because like I worked in an independent coffee shop in high school. Um, but like I bought, <laughs> like I bought a Chemex. I've been doing pour overs in the morning. I made that Dalgona coffee, the wow. like the whipped coffee that's been going around Instagram. <gasps> How was that? Um, it's incredible. It's really easy. It's Shut just up. like two tablespoons of um, 
instant coffee granules, which I don't normally have on hand because it's instant coffee, but I got some, and it's two tablespoons of that, two tablespoons of sugar, and two tablespoons of boiling water, and then you just, like, whip the absolute shit out of it with your stand mixer or a hand mixer if you have one, and then you pour, like, it basically makes, like, this really creamy, beautiful, like, kind of between, like, a foam and a pudding. And you pour it over, mm. co- like, a cup of, like, a little bit of milk and ice. And then you blend it together. And it is so good. Um, highly recommend it. And it's Instagrammable, which I know is such a shitty thing to say. But, like, it looks cool on your Instagram. And it's delicious. So why not try it? What else are you going to okay, do right I'm, now? I'm totally doing it. Yeah. Yeah, come on. All right, guys, if you want to hear more of our bullshitting, check us out on Twitter or over at Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, destiny is all bitches. <laughs>